Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing pipes? Swinging your tools the more you gave up? Call us the tricks of your trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter, don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Today on my podcast, I want to circle back and talk a little bit about negotiating contracts with your builder again, because uh, this is your lot in life at the moment if you're an Aussie subby. There is an abundance of work out there. People are signing more contracts more frequently and bigger and scarier contracts. And what I'm really happy to see is that there are a lot of subbies out there who are signing uh, contracts that they have negotiated a lot of departures to. Whereas in the past, they might have just blindly signed the contract or just put their head in the sand and signed the contract and hoped for the best because they didn't feel like they had the leverage to be able to even ask for changes in their builder's contract. And this is one of the things that I get asked about all the time, um, thus the podcast. So uh, I hope this reaches some people and helps you feel empowered to ask for changes in your builder's contract. Um, There are people out there who will say that if you ask for no changes in your contract, then you don't know what you're doing Um, or the builder thinks that you don't know what you're doing. That was never the case for um, me when I was a builder's CA. In commercial construction, we saw uh, subcontractors who were at the back of the ute tradies right up to really big subbies who were actually operating businesses bigger than the builder that I worked for. So um, we knew that not all subbies would ask to negotiate contracts and that didn't mean that they didn't know what they were doing. Um, what we more than anything thought was that they were so desperate for work that they would just sign the contract because they knew that if we said, no, hang on a second, you can't make a change to the contract, um, that they would go, oh, okay, all right, no worries, I'll do what I'm told. And they would just get on with it. That's the thing, though, about when I was a builder's CA is that the balance of power in the industry was significantly different to where it is now because uh, the builders had the work in the pipeline. There wasn't a lot of work in the pipeline and the big juicy jobs the subbies needed to get on their books so that they had enough revenue turnover. Um, We were the gatekeepers of that work. So uh, we really had the balance of power in terms of negotiating contract terms and the subbies were disposable. So um, there were, that is to say, there were enough subbies in the industry that we could use subby after subby and we could use a different subby for every job that we had on that year and we still wouldn't get through all of the subbies that existed uh, for us to use. So when you are looking at negotiating your contract with your builder, those are the things that are probably going through your head. Am I going to tank this deal? Are they going to think I'm painful? Um, is this going to lose me the job and I've just spent all this time and money quoting this job? Am I going to look like an idiot when the builder's CA tells me that there's a clause in the contract that means A, B and C and I've asked for something because I think it means this, but I've just misinterpreted it? So um, that's usually, I find, the reason subcontractors don't negotiate terms in their contract is because they don't know what they're arguing for because they don't really understand how the contract works. And that's okay. That is 100% okay. 
don't, I'm not saying you need to pretend to be something you're not. In fact, quite the opposite, because if you pretend to be a bush lawyer and try to argue with your builder CA on a legal basis why something should or should not be in your contract, all that's going to happen is that you'll sour the relationship and the builder will try to get retribution later on in the job. So they'll punish you at some point in some way uh, for you nitpicking or trying to lawyer them, bush lawyer them with their contract. So this is the thing is I've put together a list of things that I think you can do that are pretty logical and common sense tasks that you can do. Um, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand these things. These are basic things that you need to get out of a transaction. So the first thing you need to know is what do you need to do your job under this contract? So what are the basic terms that you need to be able to do the job? A good example is a lot of our subbies will go into negotiations with a builder or they will go into a post-tender meeting with a builder and they will have written on their quote that they want 14-day payments or they want two claims per month paid within 14 days. Those conversations don't take place for some reason in those post-tender interviews and I think it's because you guys are still in sales mode. So you're thinking, I'm still in competition here, I can't mention this 14-day payments thing yet. But really, you need to give them the heads up because those are the types of things where if you agree to something at a post-tender meeting, it's very difficult to walk back after you have made that agreement face-to-face -face with them at a post-tender meeting. So um, you need to know what you need to come out with. What do you need in terms of margin on variations? If you can't tell me what margin you need on variations, that's a question for you to sit down and work through with your accountant in terms of your overheads and the cost of doing business and then working out what type of sub EMI do I demob and then remobilize when I have to do a variation or will I always be on site anyway because I'm a services trade, those types of things. But super important that you go in there and you actually get the things that you need to get. So your, your hourly rates, for your schedule of rates for the baseline work that you're going to do if there's a variation, what margin you get on variations, you need to know what kind of margin will be taken away from you if you have to give the builder a credit. Say, for example, they delete a floor or they delete a building and you've got to give that back. You need to know ahead of time what margin you will get on negative variations. We're going to do a whole separate podcast on that because it's actually really, really interesting how that works in contracts. But the thing about when you're negotiating with your builder, the way to get these changes in your contract without souring the relationship is to make sure that the, it's an, a positive experience for both you and the builder. You're not going in there and asking for absolutely every single thing that you notice in the contract. So rule number one is don't nitpick the contract. Look at it from a question of how likely is this to take place and what are the consequences if it does? So you guys do your risk assessments seven days a week on site. What is the likelihood this incident will occur? And what are the consequences if it does? If it's really unlikely to happen, but the consequences are that your business will sink, like a bank guarantee or a director's guarantee or something like that, then you need to have pre-decided in your mind, what is my appetite for risk in my business type? How much do I have in assets? Do I even own anything? And what would be the consequences for me if I couldn't have a, have a license to do my work and I couldn't have a, a company? 
So if those consequences were so extreme that you just can never, 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 never sign a director's guarantee, then I would support that. Um, but you need to be pre-prepared to say that to contracts administrators and let them know. We're a sophisticated business. We have a business uh, risk profile that's different to a builder. And this is the way we survive and this is the way we thrive. So we're going to take these steps and make, make these not negotiables part of our business policy. So don't nitpick the contract. If you're using a consultant, I mean, I do contract reviews for subcontractors every day of the week. If you're using a consultant who is giving you contract reviews, don't let them pick on things to justify their existence. If you have a contract that is pretty good and fair and balanced and gets you what you need, I will recommend to clients every day of the week, you're okay to sign this. And sometimes consultants can think that they need to put something on a departures list to justify their existence. I feel like I'm doing a good job if I can say to you, hey, I've looked at this and it's good to go. That gives you an instant outcome. So if your consultant comes back to you and says, look, I've looked through this and this looks fair and reasonable. Here's this feature of the contract. This is how you get your margin on variations. This is what's going to happen if you don't meet your day for PC. Um, this is how much retention you're having held. This is what the builder's proposing to pay you in terms of payment terms. If they're explaining to you from a practical perspective the operational circumstances that the contract is saying will take place, then you have had value for money. Don't try to get a departure schedule for the sake of having a departure schedule if it's not necessary. I say this because there are builders in the market at the moment who have transformed their contracts from some of the nastiest contracts out there to really fair and balanced contracts, but you just need to administer them. And so your focus might need to be with that consultant. Okay, that's a fair contract. Happy to sign it, but what do I need to do to actually administer it? So make sure that you can keep your risk profile down by administering contract to eliminate the risk. Uh, so the thing is, when you go into a negotiation with your builder, there's a concept called preserving the person. Uh, there's a lady who mentored me probably 15 years ago now, um, back when I was in Toowoomba and I was studying law, and she, her husband, uh, used to fly planes and she used to do certifications for plane, certification for CASA, I think it's called. And um, she used to say to me, Look, when you're dealing with people, this is one of the best, best little nuggets of advice I ever got because I was a real know-it-all. Like I was a, oh, hang on a second, no, that's not right because of A, B and C. And if I was right, I felt victorious when I could prove to somebody that I was right. But I felt like I was being helpful in that context by going, see, I'm right. See, you can trust me, I'm right. Um, but she very carefully and delicately pointed out to me that when I was doing that, I was effectively saying to the other person, you're wrong and you don't know what you're talking about. And I was a bit of a smarty pants about it. So she taught me this concept called preserve the person. And I love to use this with negotiation. You need to keep this in the forefront of your mind. Now, if you go into a negotiation thinking that you're going to win or lose the negotiation, you are at risk of not preserving the person. And let me show you how that works. My mum is a mean card player. We used to play cards with my mum when I was a teenager. And she was so brutal at beating us at cards that it wasn't fun to play with her. Like her winning over us would sometimes take hours for her to finish winning the game. She would win so convincingly that none of us could catch her 
and she would make us sit and endure the rest of the card game for hours while we watched her just clock up more points and win more convincingly. It was infuriating. And more often than not, I would get up and leave the table and say, I'm going to bed. I'm not watching this. I'm going to bed. See ya. And that is what you are at risk of doing with your builder. If you go into a negotiation without giving them anything to win. So how you do that without nitpicking the contract is that you need to know what you need to come out with when you go into your negotiation. So rule number one, know what you need to come out with to get the job done. But you also need to have things in your departure schedule that you're willing to give up on. And I like to have those things in there. I usually choose things in that situation that will either educate the builder on something that's not the done thing in construction. So say, for example, um, they want to tie something to the head contract. Your, your practical completion, they'll say, you get PC when we get PC. And I always, always, always will change that in a contract, even though I know under security of payment laws it would be void because I'm hoping that in the long run builders will stop using this as a trend or an industry standard. So if more subcontractors every single time they do a contract review cross out the we get PC when you get uh, you get PC when we get PC, then you will be in a position where builders will just change their contracts. Now that might sound like I'm nitpicking and putting departures in for the sake of putting departures in, but that's something that if push came to shove, you could give up on and you could use administrative measures to get around that problem. So um, from a security of payment perspective, it would be void as a pay when paid provision because it's holding your attention to when the head contract retention is released. Um, so you could effectively debt recover at that point, but you would need to up your administration uh, measures to make sure that you don't get a problem with your payment for practical completion retention. So that's one example of something you might give up on. The other thing I like to put into departure schedules is fluffy commentary that is positive that the builder can close out the first time they read it. So what you want to do with your departure schedule, say you've got 50 items in your departure schedule that you want changed, that would be an extremely long contract review. So if you had a contract that had 50 departures, that would actually be quite a lot of departures. What you would do is make sure that 20% of those are just for clarification or comments to the builder. So for example, um, there might be a clause in the contract that says that your quality management system has to align with ISO 9001 and you're not ISO certified and you know the builder's not ISO certified. It says align, it doesn't have to be certified. So you don't necessarily have to go and get ISO 9001 to comply with that clause. But what I like to do for an example of that one is to have that as a clarification in the, the departure schedule. And it just says for, for clarification, um, we note that we're not ISO 9001 certified. Is the builder ISO 9001 certified? Ask the question. Um, as discussed, we're happy to work to your QMS and we'll provide you with a template ITP. Can you let me know if this is okay? And so you're not really asking the builder to make any change in the contract and the builder will be able to close that out on the first round. So set up your departure schedule so the builder can have some success in closing things out on the first round. So you want that person to not look at the departure schedule and go, oh, this is so overwhelming, this is gonna take me so long. 
you want them to be able to go closed out, closed out, closed out, so that most of them, uh, or at least 20% of them, can be closed out on that first iteration. So another way I like to keep the departure schedule short or shorter is if you can group your departures based on the topic or the issue that you need addressed rather than trying to just go in chronological order of the clause numbers in the contract. Because lawyers get paid a lot of money to grab a jigsaw puzzle and muddle it all up and then put it in a contract document where you have to look in multiple places in the contract to deal with the one thing. They do that on purpose so that you can overlook something or you, they might gain some kind of advantage over you because you haven't noticed a particular um, clause in the contract or some kind of qualification. Now, when you group your clauses together, because they're all of the same topic, so say, for example, you want to make sure that you address all the extension of time clauses in one row, and that will also relate to liquidated damages, your date for practical completion, um, it'll relate to your commencement date, and it'll also relate to the timeframes you've got to be able to give an extension of time and it will also relate to the qualifying causes of delay or the list of things that you're allowed to have an extension of time for. So what you might do is you might have one row that says extensions of time and then in the next row it says relates to clause and then list them and the page number next to them. And then you would effectively say in that row what you want the changes to be. And it could well be that you say um, <clears throat> we need an extension of time for inclement weather because we're the roofer and it'll need to be inclement weather and the effects of inclement weather as well because it may be that the roof is still wet after we uh, the rain stops falling from the sky and we need to the roof to dry before we can get on the roof and it'll be safe for the roof and so you need to have those changes changed in that row so if you can get um an extension of time for the things that you need an extension of time for and the builder's happy to give those things to you you might be less concerned about the rate per day for liquidated damages or you might be more more willing to compromise on that because they reduce your risk by giving you more things you're allowed to give an extension of time for. Another example might be that if the builder gives you more time to give an extension of time claim, so if the builder's got five business days in their contract and they say, okay, we'll make it 14 days, you might then also be more willing to, to let them have a higher rate per day for liquidated damages. Um, likewise, if you can get a cap for liquidated damages, you might be more willing to give them a higher rate per day. So um, those are the types of things where you can horse trade based on an issue rather than having a chronological order because I often see people get into negotiations and the first or second line item is like a big ticket ask and everyone just gets stuck on it. And there's a couple of ways to deal with that. But the first one that I like to use is to go, hey, guys, we're not really going to sort this out until we talk about this one, this one, and this one. How about we jump down there and have a look at those now? Or let's park that one until we go through these other ones because we're running out of time. We need to be able to get this done by two o'clock because we all need to pick our kids up or something like that. And that will usually get them past a point where um, they feel stuck and they don't want to give you anything. So you don't want to get up, get into a stalemate in the first two lines of your departure schedule. You need to be uh, prepared and know your departure schedule well enough to be able to jump between requests and explain to them no look these things all relate to this other thing and if we can have that then this one will fall away 
Now, the other thing I want to tell you about, this might rub you the wrong way, is when the builder or the, the CA that you're negotiating with or the project manager or the commercial manager, whoever it is, when they let you have something, they say, okay, we're willing to compromise on that. Say thank you. This might not feel like you should be having to say thank you because a lot of times the things that you're getting crossed out in your contract are nasty clauses that should never have been there in the first place. But it is very important that you separate the person you are negotiating with from the building company whose contract it is. So it's very unlikely the person that you're speaking with wrote the contract or had any kind of influence over what was in the contract. If they did have influence over what was in the contract and they wrote the contract, then so be it. But you should still say thank you. The reason you should say thank you is because you are preserving that person's power or implied power or perceived power. Now, if you're a builder CA and you're starting a new project and you're working for the first time with a new plumber or concreter or electrician or whatever trade, there is an element of nervousness about whether or not that person will perform. And the contracts administrator needs to feel like they have you under control. There's a couple of ways they can have you under control. The first is to have you contractually under control. And that means having a knife to your throat with these clauses in the contract that let them do nasty things to you. And more and more we're seeing builders move away from those types of contracts because of the unfair contract terms, laws that are coming into effect in October. So there is a bit of a trend towards more fair and balanced contracts, which is great news. The other reason it's happening is because so many subbies are pushing back. So you guys need to be smart enough to know, okay, we're on a winner here. We're gaining some ground. This is good. Let's not rub it in their face and take all their power away from them because they will just find ways to punish us later in the job. What you need to do is let them have some perceived power by speaking to them as if you defer to them. And I know that's going to really probably make you have a little bit of vomit in the back of your throat when you think about doing that. But it's a way that when there is somebody who's in a position of authority, who's giving you what they think is a gift, you need to know that wasn't a gift. You should never have been doing that to me in the first place. But because of their privilege of their position, they will never see that. They don't have the capacity to see that. So you need to be the bigger person and just say, thank you so much for doing that. That that means a lot to us. You know, that's going to go a long way in terms of be, being able to do A, B and C um, with that contract. So look, thank you for doing that. And also bear in mind that that person is actually taking a risk in giving you a concession under the contract because if it blows up in their face and there's a dispute that turns on that point where they gave you something in the contract they weren't supposed to give you, um, that person could end up getting in very big trouble with their job. They could lose their job. So make sure that you understand that when somebody does you a favour, just say thank you. It's okay if it should never have been done in the first place, but that person probably wasn't the person who was doing it to you. That's the person who's fixing it for you. Now, <clears throat> if you're making a concession, i.e. you're giving the builder something, you're going to give up on something, make sure the builder knows you're giving up on it. Don't just close it out in the departure schedule and send it back to them. Say in a fresh column, okay, we're willing to, we're willing to live with this given that you've given us this one, this one, and this one. So remind them this is a horse trade. This is not just, a, okay, I give up, now it's closed with no explanation whatsoever. 
um, go, I don't even close those items out. I let the builder close it out because that gives them the gratification of changing the, the row in the departure schedule from open to closed. Um, so I just put the column in and say, okay, look, we're willing to live with that given A, B and C. Thanks very much for understanding our request. And then I let the builder have the gratification of closing it out. So um, that will help that person feel like they were the ones who got the win because they convince you to concede on it. So that's their win. You need to let them have that win. Otherwise, they will feel like you have won the game of cards, the epic game of cards that's made everybody weary and you've made everybody sit there and watch you win for the whole, the whole process. Nobody will be happy. Um, the last thing I just want to say on here is if you are doing a really long-winded negotiation, don't do it on email. Don't do it on email. Just pick up the phone. When you send a departure schedule, if you look at it and go, that was a big one, just in the email say, guys, there are a lot of departures in here. Um, please understand a lot of these are just clarifications. So make sure you say it in the cover email, prepare them, manage their expectations for the very big departure schedule they're about to open and just say, hey, just a heads up, there's a lot in here, but quite a lot of them are just clarifications. Um, we think the fastest way for us to close this out would be just to jump on a call together or to jump on a Zoom together, or if you can, just go face-to-face. Face-to-face is 100% the best thing to do when you are going to go through a departure schedule because that's where you guys have the best opportunity to keep the trust solid. It's so much harder to get angry at somebody in, in person when they're physically in the room than it is for you to get angry at them on Zoom. Um, and also, when you do go face-to-face, -face, meet people, there's always a, hey, how's it going? And then everyone sits down together and they usually have like a little bit of pleasant talk before you get into the nitty gritty. But we have this uh, tendency when we jump on Zoom or we jump on email to just say the things that we need to say, which are sometimes adversarial. So that's how it can go wrong. Um, and then a little bonus tip for you guys too as well. If you go through a very big negotiation and you feel weary, just know they feel weary too. It's your superpower if you can recognise that you feel weary. If you go, oh, are we really going to go through this again? Like this has been so long. That is actually leverage for you because you will recognise that you feel weary. They also feel weary, but they might not even realise what's happening in this negotiation. But if you can just hold out just that little bit further, you've already come this far. So if you just go and give up on things because you feel weary, that is where the builder will not get the gratification of having something closed out for a good reason because you've just given up. They'll also think that you've given up because you're desperate. So now you're undoing the goodwill that you started in having the negotiation in the first place. Um, one thing I really like to do after a big negotiation like this where it is a really big, drawn-out, weary negotiation is I will send a box of beer to the contracts administrator or to the site or I'll drop it off to site with a note that says, sorry that went so like sorry that went for so long or thanks very much for that negotiation um, or thanks very much for going through the contract departures with us uh, we realized that would have taken up heaps of your time that you probably didn't have handy um, it means heaps to us that you're willing to give us the time of day and just give them a box of beer or even better go and take the box of beer to site and have one with them um, 
code of conduct providing, but make sure that you are giving them a gesture of thanks at the end of the negotiation. Again, you might think, well, no, this is a business transaction, Michelle, I shouldn't have to do that. This is what we call the law of reciprocity. And if you have depleted your relationship bank substantially because you've asked for some really hard asks for um, the builders who make concessions on and you got those across the line, you need to make everyone happy again. Like we need to just reconfirm we're all mates. And the best way I've found to do that is a box of beer. Or if it's not a box of beer, sometimes it can be that we've got a client who supplies a coffee machine to every project site. Um, it makes them the hero with all the trades because he supplies the coffee machine and the coffee for the entire job. Those guys are there for typically the length of the job. Um, so it's good for him and his staff. He is usually uh, making friends with the other trades on site, but also the contracts administrator will be grateful as well. So it's a gesture of goodwill that, hey, we're all here to make nice and be happy campers together. Let's get on with the job. We're looking forward to this job and we're happy to work with you. So I hope that helps. I hope it gives you some context around some of the practical things you can do when you are asking for changes in your contract that will make a huge difference. One of the very first things that I was taught, I think it was my very first job site I ever went to, um, I had a lady engineer who took me to site and before we got out of the car, she said to me, Michelle, you need to know what you're talking about these people. When you go and ask them to do something for you, you need to have done your homework before you go in there and know what you're talking about when you ask them for it. So if you are going through your contract and you don't understand what you're looking at and you're not really sure if you're asking for the right thing, you're more likely to give up on it because you don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's okay if you don't know what you're talking about because there are people out there who can help. It doesn't have to be a lawyer who can help you work out what you need with your contract. Um, I am a lawyer. I can help you through the law firm that I work for if you want to have a legal review of your contract. But with Tricks of Your Trade, what we do is we do what we call a contract administration review. So we look at your trade in the context of the job that you're doing and the builder you're working for and what you operationally need to actually deliver on. And then we look at what is the contract asking us to do here? Now, just bear in mind, these builders are giving these contracts to subbies all over the country and expecting the subbies to pick them up, read them and administer them. That's how we help you. We help you work out what your contract is saying you have to actually do. And then we can work out what's not possible and what is possible. And by taking that approach, we can look at, okay, what's high risk, what's low risk, what's likely to happen, what are the consequences, and what do you need to be able to get this job done? So um, that's something that you might consider doing. Now, I just want to close off on the business of you going into negotiations and not knowing what you're asking for. If you have a gut feeling that there's something in your contract that isn't quite right and that's why you've put it on a departure schedule, don't gaslight yourself into thinking it's because you're stupid and you don't know what you're looking at. You need to trust your gut because I can tell you from working with tradies for the last decade and a half that you guys usually are on the money. If it looks and smells a bit funny and you're not quite sure you're happy to do it or you don't understand what it requires, you can ask the builder, you can say, hey, I found this clause, what does it mean? Now, I don't re recommend that you take legal advice from your builder, 
But if you ask your contracts administrator what something means and they can't explain it to you, it will take the hostility around that conversation out of the equation. What will happen is that person will go, I'll find out. Or they'll go, I'm not really sure, I don't know, like you just have to work it out, this is the contract. And if they just try and fob you off on it, trust your gut and get some advice from somebody else who can help you with that. Um, so on that note, this has been a really long podcast, but I hope it's been a really good um, brain, dump, brain dump for you guys on in terms of what some of the practical things you can do to get your requests across the line and actually build relationships instead of burning relationships in your contract negotiations. Um, we are about to launch Negotiation School in October. So if you are keen to jump onto the next round of Negotiation School, head to our website, www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au and get onto the wait list because I will send you out notification of when the course enrolments open. Uh, enrolments are only open for seven days. So if you miss enrolment, you won't be able to come with us this year. We're only, this is our last negotiation school round for 2023. The next one will be in February. So make sure you jump on the website and register for the wait list. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies toolbox. You won't be disappointed there. And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing bugs? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter, don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade!